It's the confluence where the news comes together on 90.5 WESA. I'm Kevin Gavin. Three weeks into the new fiscal year and Pennsylvania still does not have a budget. A stumbling block is funding for school vouchers, which was included in the budget that was passed. A so-called dark money group has been pushing Republicans to include money for vouchers. And for now, Democrats no longer have control of the state house. We'll be talking about all of that and more with Katie Meyer, government editor and reporter with Spotlight PA. Hi, Katie. Hi, great to be here. Kate Wong-Poo is government reporter for Spotlight PA. Good to have you back, Kate. Thanks for having me. And Chris Potter is WESA's government accountability editor. Hey, Chris. Good to be with you, Kevin. All right. On Tuesday, Lieutenant Governor Austin Davis was a guest on the Confluence, and he said, quote, the governor's office, my office, we're in continued conversations with both chambers, end quote. He didn't get into specifics, but have you heard of any conversations, formal, informal, about ending this budget deadlock? Uh, Katie, I want to start with you. Sure. So um, there's been no formal communication from uh, really anybody uh, recently. We have seen, just because, you know, we have folks in the Capitol, um, people going in and out of Shapiro's office, uh, key lawmakers who seem like they are certainly in talks. But uh, no, we haven't heard anything. And from, and I don't want to make any hard predictions, but the consensus seems to be it might be a while. So it, we really could be looking at uh, fall for people getting back into real negotiations. I mean, that's that's what we're hearing, Kate. We are hearing uh, um, if you look at the Senate schedule online, it still says they'll return in uh, late September. Seth Grove, uh, House um, Republican uh, minority chair of the Appropriations Committee. Uh, he even said, I believe yesterday, possibly October before anything gets done. What else are you hearing? Yeah, that I would echo what Katie said. Things are pretty quiet in that legislators aren't really talking. I also like last time as the Capitol, I, I saw, you know, Matt Bradford's office. I saw uh, a few other lawmakers like their lights were on. They were clearly in the Capitol. Um, despite being on 12-hour calls. So there are clearly some communications happening, but um, not sure about the specifics of what what they're being, what's discussed. Uh, to clarify, 12-hour call, that is so that they can get from any part of the Commonwealth back to Harrisburg? Yes. Okay. Uh, a reminder, now both the House and Senate passed the same budget, but in the end, Senate Republican leaders refused to sign it and send it to the governor's desk. Uh, Davis also repeated what Governor Shapiro has been saying. It's up to the Senate to come back. So from it sounds like what you said earlier, Katie, that there doesn't seem to be any hint that they could come back before they're scheduled or they will come back. Maybe I don't want to put words in your mouth. Yeah, I mean, they certainly could. Um, but the what we've heard from Senate leaders, from Kim Ward, from Joe Pittman, um, has so far been that, like, there hasn't been, like, a real reconciliation yet. They are still uh, quite upset with uh, Governor Shapiro for saying that he would veto out the school voucher proposal from the bill that they thought they all agreed to. Um, as you have covered in previous shows, uh, the House said that that was a non-starter, so that's why Shapiro uh, said he would veto it out a line item veto when the bill goes to his desk. And like, can't stress enough, like this is a procedural step. They have passed the budget. 
But, uh, you know, the Senate needs to come back to Harrisburg in order for that to happen. And so the minute they do, Austin Davis, the lieutenant governor, can sign the budget Mm -hmm. and send it to Shapiro. But it's just, you know, they haven't come back. Mm-hmm. Kate, um, the budget has to be signed, but do those code bills also have to be passed along with it, or can they be passed maybe later on? So they do need to be, pa- at least the fiscal code needs to be passed to sort of direct where the money is going. Some of the other, typically in budget negotiations, some of the deals that are made can be hidden in like the tax code, education code, sort of things like that. So it's sort of part of the course that that is where a lot of budget negotiating happens. So the fact that they haven't been passed yet is sort of tells you where we're at, where there just hasn't been any negotiation, any agreement yet. All right. So Republicans have said that Shapiro's gone back on his word. Shapiro has denied that publicly, saying the Republicans didn't cut a deal with the House Democrats. Chris, you've been covering politics for years Can this clash between Shapiro and the Republican-controlled Senate have lasting effects? I mean, the budget obviously is the most important, but it's not the only policy, uh, legislative priority that might need some sort of compromise between parties and different branches of government. Yeah, I mean, it certainly doesn't help, right? Um, uh, Seth Grove, who who Kate mentioned a few minutes ago, um, in the House, the the very night uh, that it became clear that the House is going to... vote for this budget with the promise of a line item veto, got up and gave a speech and said, you know, there's we don't have anything else in in this Capitol building other than our word. Um, and once you've sort of, you know, cheapened that, it's kind of hard to know where to to go with it. So, yeah, the code bills could be a problem. Uh, Representative Grove uh, kind of intimated that uh, there are programs that Democrats wanted, for example, state funding for public defenders that would need a uh, separate fiscal code appropriation, that, that that piece of work just got harder potentially. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, it, it, you'd be crazy not to expect some stormy times ahead. I mean, I will say the historical perspective is uh, you know, back in 2015, the very first budget that uh, then new newly installed governor uh, Tom Wolf came up uh, was delayed nine months. I think it was. They got some things moving after about half a year. And you know, you look at you you look at sort of the ensuing um, events. And, you know, those relationships were never going to be great between he and the Republicans who control both houses. Um, but, you know, obviously he got reelected. Um, the, you know, the Commonwealth survived. Um, I, I think the sort of short term thing that people should think about is, and as, as my colleague Kate Jamarisi reported uh, several days ago, you know, the big concern here is there are a lot of like nonprofits and school districts who who rely on sort of a steady flow of state funding just to get the job done. And in 2015, they were taking out loans just to kind of cover payroll and stuff like that because the state wasn't giving them the cash. And they're, they're like lasting consequences for those organizations and their missions and the people they serve. Um, and I think sometimes we, we, we risk sort of losing that um, because of all the sort of back and forth in Harrisburg. There are real world effects, maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow. But come the fall, some of these organizations, some of these school districts, um, you know, maybe kind of hard pressed because of what's going on. Kate, uh, from your sources, are you hearing any potential for lingering bad feelings between the parties, between the governor's office and the legislature, particularly the Senate Republican uh, controlled uh, the Republican controlled Senate? Yeah, I think most of the Senate majority leaders have have loudly stated that this is not bode well for the next three years. So there's a lot of, uh, I guess, bad blood 
right now. Uh, we'll see how that plays out. I think even amongst House Democrats, there was sort of a sour taste in the mouth about, you know, why Shapiro was negotiating with Senate Republicans to begin with and didn't loop in House Democrats. So right now, the I think something the majority leader in the House said was that they needed some time to just cool off and sort of get to a reset place. So it's, yeah, the, the Capitol is a bit of a, a ghost town right now, mostly. <laughs> For the recently completed fiscal year, the Revenue Department reported that collections were 3% above their estimates. Uh, We're all still paying state taxes, sales tax, personal income tax. So while there is no official budget, state's still pulling in money. So, Katie, who decides what bills to pay, who gets the money, and who doesn't uh, with no budget in place but money still there? Um, yeah, so that's a very good question. And it's a slightly complicated answer. And I don't want to like intimate that anything's going to happen for sure. I haven't heard anything for sure. But basically, this is a, a collaboration between the governor's office and the treasury. The treasury decides which bills get paid, and also what money can go out. So they're going to be assessing whether the state has spending authority to put out certain money. And that's what you usually see, for instance, from like the fiscal code, that kind of gives the authority to dole out sums of cash that the spending plan allows for. So all that to say, um, one thing to watch for is that uh, the Treasury is currently controlled by a Republican, Stacey Garrity, and there could be conflicts between her and the Shapiro administration. In past budget impasses, one of the things that's come up that the Treasury really had to deal with was issuing lines of credit if the state like literally didn't have cash on hand to make payments. Now, that is it's very different now. That was from times when we didn't have a budget surplus like we do these days. You've mentioned that the tax uh, revenue has been strong coming in and we do have a surplus now. So things are going to look different than they did in, in pre- previous budget impasses. But the Treasury is the place to be watching and we're going to be following closely to see if there are going to be conflicts over spending authority. It's our state politics roundtable on the confluence. We're talking with Katie Meyer, Kate Wong Poo, and Chris Potter. Now, as we mentioned, the holdup has been the $103 million for school vouchers, which Republicans say Shapiro agreed to, House Dems refused to go along with, and he said he would line-item veto that appropriation. Katie, I want to get back to you. You just published a story about how a dark money group is running public ad campaigns accusing Shapiro of abandoning kids by line-item vetoing school choice vouchers. What is this group? Who's behind it? (laughs) So uh, I guess I'll start with like the caveat that people kind of throw around the word dark money a lot, uh, and especially when it comes to spending over schools, uh, because it's just a very, very uh, high profile issue. It can be an emotional issue for people. And there's people who feel very strongly on different sides of this. Uh, I mean something very specific when I say dark money. It is a 501c4 nonprofit that basically the way it is organized, intentionally organized, is it doesn't have to disclose its donors. These are groups that are, are uh, they you know, spend in the public interest, whatever they determine that interest to be. And in this case, it has been a very laser focused effort on pressuring lawmakers to pass school vouchers. And so, um, you know, I say we don't know who's funding it. We, we can't see their financials on the back end. We can probably in the future see some lobbying disclosures from them because that's what they're doing. But in the meantime, what we do know about this group, Kevin, is uh, it has very close ties to the Commonwealth Foundation, which is an established uh, conservative think tank in Pennsylvania. 
It also has close ties uh, to, you know, school choice groups more broadly across the Commonwealth, which are overwhelmingly funded by uh, a billionaire, Pennsylvania's richest person. In fact, Jeffrey Yass. Um, he's a, a mainline uh, Philadelphia area guy, uh, a, a Wall Street trader who has sunk at, uh, millions and millions of dollars into the pro-school choice movement in Pennsylvania. And that really just means alternatives to public school, right? So he, he has given money to people on both sides of the aisle who support vouchers, which give state money directly to private schools, but also charter schools and uh, tax breaks for organizations that fund uh scholarships to private schools. So there's a range of things here. Uh, and a brief follow-up, Katie, are these kinds of campaigns typically so public? Um, You know, there's been a mix. And I've heard from people in the past that they remember like a lot of messaging around liquor privatization in previous budgets, things like that. But in general, no, this is a little unusual. You mostly see this kind of pressure campaign happening behind the scenes. Um, so this this has been pretty public. And I don't want to say it's unprecedented, but it's not the norm. Mm -hmm. Chris Potter. Yeah, I just point out, uh, Katie mentioned uh, Jeffrey Yass. I mean, I, I have been a reporter for 20 odd years. Jeffrey Yass has in one way, shape or form or another been supporting school choice initiatives. Back in the day, he used, there used to be like multiple pol political committees that would give each other money. They all had sort of similar names and you had to sort of like work your way through this almost spider web network. And it just, I don't know what it is about education choice in particular that seems to sort of draw out this kind of behavior of you know, sort of concealing where the money's coming from. And obviously, Mr. Yes, despite those efforts, is is the name probably most publicly associated with spending for this cause. So there's there's always sort of a question in my mind about like what actually is being accomplished um, by going through this kind of routine um, on an issue that is so public and so important. Um, and, you know, ostensibly, at least, is supposed to be about children and their opportunities. All right. Now let's turn to the balance of power in the state house. Uh, Representative Sarah Inamorato resigned her seat to focus on her bid for Allegheny County executive. That means the party split between the Dems and the Republicans in the house. One oh one to one oh one. How soon might this uh, seat get filled? Uh, Chris, back to you. Yeah, uh, it'll be uh, the election will be uh, September 19th. It'll be a special election, which means there won't be a primary. Uh, members of both parties, committee members of both parties will select a candidate. Uh, as far as I know, the Republicans haven't set their date yet for Democrats. And this is a heavily Democratic district, very deeply blue. Um, uh, candidates have to express their interest by this coming Monday. And then party members in that district will get together the following Saturday. Um, and choose their nominee. So it is a very quick turnaround time. Um, basically, uh, the writ of election was issued for 60 days after uh, uh, Ms. Intermorado resigned, and that is the tightest time frame allowed by, allowed by state law. Chris, uh, briefly, any backlash or negative reaction from progressives who really helped to get Intermorado elected to the state house seat? Uh, you know, mostly what I've heard is surprise. People did not expect this to be happening uh, at this time. The the sort of understanding was that uh, uh, Ms. Inarata would not um, step down until after she uh, won, uh, as they hoped, um, the Allegheny County executive race this fall um, because she's the Democratic nominee there. Um, I haven't heard resentment per se, although I will say that when she was running for county executive, Early on, when it was sort of a toss up and nobody knew who was going to come out on top there, I did hear some some griping from people who'd been supporters of hers that they had really, you know, campaigned to get her into the state house. That was a difficult race against the longtime incumbent Dom Costa. 
and they were sort of worried about you know ending up with Dom Goster or somebody uh, somebody more conservative like him uh, because of the vacancy that she'd create. So I, you know a lot of those opinions, a lot of that feeling, I think dissipated after she won the county executive race. Um, but you know clearly those folks are now on a very tight timetable to find a candidate that they're comfortable with and move forward. Katie. Yeah. Um, the one thing I'll also say is uh, just with the chamber so closely divided, uh, this timing is tricky, right? So from Democrats' perspective right now, they have passed their spending plan. They're sort of in a dead zone now. And with her stepping down at this moment, they then get a placement in in September, which is really quite soon. And it might be as negotiations are ramping up again and they need those votes once again. So I, I think it's a tough balancing act for them. The other thing I'll note, well, two more things. One, this is going to happen again. Uh, John Galloway, another Democrat, is uh, probably going to win a judgeship. And so he will also have to step down at some point, which means we do this one more time. And the third thing, and just a kind of a point of context, is that when they took control of the chamber, House Democrats passed a rule that basically said that they stay in control of the like levers of power. So the speakership, things that are pretty important for getting bills on the floor in the chamber and determining when special elections are. So it doesn't mean that Democrats are going to have like a numerical majority, but it does mean that until they actually lose, you know, in a special election, the majority in the House that they will keep the speakership. Uh, Kate, the House is not set to return from the summer recess until September 26th. Uh, Chris just mentioned the special election, September 17th. So will Inamorato's absence actually have much of an effect? Yeah, I think like Katie said, like it theoretically, it shouldn't. <laughs> They're not in session back until the 26th. So unless something comes up earlier in which they need every House Dem vote and they don't get any uh, any Republican support they'll need they'll need the majority but theoretically you know the the any budget deals they strike still do need to be bipartisan with Senate Republicans so that might be something to keep in mind as you know they're going forward that um House Republicans might also you know cozy out up too uh, Chris I just want to spend a couple of minutes on uh, a U.S. Senate race. Now, last last year, politicos and parties really had eyes on Pennsylvania, the Fetterman-Oz race for control of the U.S. Senate. Are they already eyeing up the Keystone State as a key state for next year's battle for the Senate? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're seeing kind of like uh, negative uh, oppo research being dropped on uh, on Democrat Bob Casey um, and and already efforts uh, similarly for uh, he hasn't entered the race yet. But everybody assumes that uh, Dave McCormick, a unsuccessful Republican for last year's Senate race, will run again and is a little better positioned maybe um, than he was last time. So, yeah, you're already seeing that. And there's just going to be more and more of it down the in, in the days and months ahead. And it seems to start earlier and earlier and earlier. I mean, Labor Day used to be the home stretch for elections for that year. I mean, we're already talking about next year's Senate election. And we're not even at Labor uh, Labor Day for this year. Yeah, it's actually <laughs> over the course of my career that 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 window has extended. And I actually, you know, just speaking first, I had I wish that there were we would allow ourselves the time to also focus on local um, races and off year elections, which are very important. Katie mentioned the treasurer race. I once wrote a story at, the, uh, at another outlet that said the 2016 treasurer race will be the most important on the ballot. And people got all up in arms. But what I said is uh, in the in the middle of a budget conflict, 
um, the treasurer has a lot of power and we're seeing that now. So even those down ballot races, sometimes I think people overlook them because we get so caught up in presidential and Senate and there's so many important races down ballot that I wish got a little more attention. All right. We have uh, just about 20 seconds for each of you. What you're going to be keeping your eye on moving forward, budget relationships, uh, anything out of Harrisburg politics, uh, Katie Meyer, we'll start with you anything. One of the things I'm checking on right now is spending authority, uh, just seeing if there's going to be wars between the Treasury and the governor. And that could impact maybe people actually getting their money? Potentially. Uh, stay tuned. <laughs> stay tuned. Well, we'll stay tuned to you and look forward to your reporting. Kate Wong Poo, what are you keeping your eye on? Uh, whatever it is, budget, politics, uh, anything. Well, Katie knows this, but I'm I'm very into hydrogen at the moment. There's a lot of federal billions potentially in federal funding that's going to come into the state, uh, not just for hydrogen, but other clean energy as well. So I've been really keeping an eye on that. So you're looking at the hydro the potential of a hydrogen hub. Uh, briefly, what's the news on that? When might a decision come? Do we know? It's supposed to be the fall, maybe early winter, but uh, I'm digging up more and more on the plans right now. <laughs> and because it's such an expensive in, uh, investment that could get stretched out, maybe? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, potentially, it's the money's supposed to come in for decades. All right. And Chris Potter, what are you keeping your eye out on either locally or statewide in politics and government? Well, we mentioned it before, but this uh, race to replace Sarah Inamorato, uh, there are at least four Democrats who have already declared their campaigns. I'm expecting there to be at least one or two more between now and Monday, the deadline for Democrats. So I'll be keeping an eye on that and um, just sort of the very truncated race to uh, replace State Representative Sarah Inamorato. And uh, very briefly, Chris, uh, you mentioned that's a very blue district. Republicans have any chance of uh, capturing that seat? Uh, you know, they're not going to concede that they don't, but that's a tough one. It's about a two to one uh, registration advantage, I believe, for Democrats there. Chris Potter is WESA's government accountability editor. Katie Meyer is government editor and reporter with Spotlight PA. And Kate Wong Poo is a government reporter for Spotlight PA. Thanks to all of you for your reporting and for joining us today. Thanks for having us. Thank you. And for today, that is the confluence where the news comes together on 90.5 WESA. Next time, bipartisan legislation would legalize recreational marijuana in Pennsylvania. The state is getting more than a billion dollars to make high-speed broadband more accessible in rural areas. And Steelers training camp opens Wednesday. Thanks to our team, Madison Deal, Laura Satsui, and Mary Lee Williams. I'm Kevin Gavin. Until next time, hope you have a good day of good news.